2 Corinthians 5 tells us, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything is becoming new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making God's appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us God has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us, and we're ambassadors for Christ since God's making God's appeal through us, which raises the question, when Jesus was reconciling, what did that look like, sound like, feel like? How did Jesus do it, this ministry of reconciliation? In the book of Mark, there's a story of a man healed by Jesus from a demon named Legion, the same as a 5,000-member Roman troop, who, incidentally, occupied the land at the time, too. Mark likes his symbolism. At the end, the man asked to stay with Jesus, but Jesus says no. And instead, he tells him, go home to your friends. Friends. Does that mean he still has them? Has he missed them all this time he was suffering? Did they try to help? And then Jesus says, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. When Jesus heals... Over and over we see that he restores a person not only to the body or their mind, but also their friends. In a culture where purity codes isolated unwell people, Jesus gave them the chance to be with others again. Reconciliation included friendship and telling your story. Who has Jesus been for you? Now, immediately after that, Mark shares the story of Jairus a girl dad who, despite being a leader of the synagogue, chose to come to Jesus with his desperate plea. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Perhaps that's a good way of saying what Jesus did for the other man too. Made well and live. Not just better, but able to holistically flourish. On the way to the girl, a woman who had suffered 12 years of chronic illness decided to defy the purity code and get into the crowd for the mere chance to touch Jesus' clothes. And when she does, she's made well. But she faces this unexpected surprise of being face-to-face with Jesus, who felt the power go out of him. And she's terrified, in part because the logic of the time is that her uncleanness would have transferred onto Jesus. And she's expecting him to be not that happy about that fact. But he says, go in peace. Instead of her uncleanness transferring to Jesus, his wellness, his life transfers to her. And the text says that she knew she was healed. And yet Jesus says it anyway, be healed. It's like a confirmation that she did not steal his power against his will. His will is for her to be made well and live. And just like the first man, that healing brings her back to the community again. I wonder what Jairus was thinking and feeling all this time. This delay, it comes at a cost. 
Messengers tell Jairus that while they were waiting for Jesus to interact with this unclean woman, the girl has died. But Jesus tells him to choose trust over fear and continues on to his home, takes the girl by the hand, and helps her up. And the next thing she does is get a snack. Jesus gets close to people, touches them, and makes it possible for them to live in community and trust that they are loved and lovely to God. He makes people well and he gives them the freedom, the ability, maybe even the permission to live. Does he also teach and tell stories? Yes. Does he also take on the powerful in theological debate? Yes. Does he also do things just to show he's a prophet sent by God above with authority? Yes. But does he only tell people, you are a sinner and I am the way to God? No. Jesus makes them well, makes them whole, not just as individuals, individual people who are now made whole. He takes it a step further and tells people who, for one reason or another, were separated from community, come be a part of a family. And not just any family, my family, God's family. Now remember, our question was, what does Jesus's ministry of reconciliation look like? It looks like, pull up a chair, come sit with us. And so for us, might the ministry of reconciliation be far less like saying, you're a sinner, but Jesus can forgive you. And far more like saying, you can sit with us. And I wonder if saying you can sit with us at the table Jesus sets might actually do far more to address the problem of sin anyway. We were created human and being human was good. All of it. Not our souls, which is a Greek idea layered back on the Old Testament anyway, but our whole embodied human selves were good. Sin then dehumanizes us. In a host of ways, it makes us believe we are only what we produce, or it makes us oppressors who use others, or it fills us with shame so we hate who we are. Sin pulls us away from a good God who wants to be with us, and it pulls us away from each other. To be unreconciled, to be out of alignment with God, is in some way to be less than ourselves, less than we were made to be, both as individuals and as a group. And reconciliation, to be in alignment with God, is to have our full humanity restored by the God who created us good. When we are unreconciled, we believe we are bad, we do bad, we treat others bad. When we are reconciled, we are able by the Spirit of God to see that we are good, to do good, and to treat others good. Not because we're trying to earn or prove anything with that goodness, but because we were always endowed with goodness by the God who created us. Reconciliation through Christ is the power to be that way again. And so our ministry of reconciliation is to sit together, to eat and talk and pray and listen, so that we can be reminded of who we truly are. And to always be looking for someone else to whom we can say, you can sit with us. Think about the fruit of the Spirit for a minute. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Aren't those just lovely? Don't we at our core want our friendships and work lives and families and identities to feel like that? 
In a podcast I heard recently, Kevin Doy, who's chaplain at Fuller Seminary, talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and he said, the fruit of the Spirit are not spiritual qualities. They are human qualities. This is who we are when we are fully human. In our church community, we talk about having a core value of authenticity, and it's a very similar idea that we bring our imperfect selves to Jesus, who makes us who we were made to be. But Doi goes on to make a second point. The litmus test of whether or not I'm becoming more human, whether or not the Spirit of God is shaping my identity as a reconciled one, is relationship. I don't get to decide that I'm becoming more loving or joyful or patient. You do. Because these aren't just human qualities. They are relational ones. So who says, yes, you are more gentle than in the past. You have become more self-controlled, more kind. Your friends do. Your family members do. Your partner does. The barista does. Reconciliation looks like returning through Christ to our identity as loved and lovely. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit growing in us in such a way that the people who know us feel it. And often that happens when we can humbly admit mistakes, when we can say sorry to those we've hurt, including God, when we can own the pain we've caused before. But that happens when a person says, I'm going to do this for real. I'm going to live like I really do have the message of reconciliation to offer. Like I really am an ambassador for Christ. Like God really is making God's appeal through me, through us. And then I'm going to say, you can sit with us. The ministry of reconciliation is to say in the name of Jesus, poor and rich, you can sit with us. Black, white, brown, you can sit with us. Gay, straight, bi, cisgender, transgender, non-binary, you can sit with us. Disabled and able, you can sit with us. Trump supporter, you can sit with us. Bernie bro, you can sit with us. Family member who drives me up the wall, you can sit with us friend who hurt me, you can sit with us. And then at this table set by Christ, here's the deal. We will all submit ourselves to becoming new. At the table of the church and the literal tables where we eat our dinner each week, we become new. Old is gone, new has come. So when we sit down here together, that's what we're sitting down to do to let old be gone and new come. Old hatred will be gone and new love will come. Old hurt will be gone, new healing will come. Old prejudice will be gone, apologies will come. Power grabbing is gone, deferring to each other has come. Anyone in Christ, new creation. Old is gone, new has come. And so this is the table where we will learn to treat one another with love. This is the table where we will learn to cultivate joy. This is the table where we will share what worries us so we can learn to trust God who gives us peace. 
This is the table where we will practice patience, the table where we will celebrate goodness. This is the table where we will treat each other with gentleness. This is the table where we will return faithfully to one another, where we will demonstrate self-control as we listen to each other. The gospel is real and true, and the table is wide, and you can sit with us, and we will practice together the ministry of reconciliation. That is why we still come to church, after all, in a time when the best sermons and the best worship bands, they're all online. Only face-to-face can we practice being the lovely ones Jesus invited us to be through his grace. We need space to practice our reconciled identity. In our church each week, we celebrate communion. And for us, it's something of an amuse-bouche, as the Food Network taught me to say, a one-bite appetizer of the whole meal that we eat together at later on. A place where Jesus says to us around this table, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat and drink around this table, do it in remembrance of me. We come to communion and to dinner in remembrance of Jesus who brought us home, who made us his friend, forgave every little thing and wants us to live. Sometimes we forget how it feels to be unreconciled. So let's eat and let's remember together.